been a while since I've preached, and so I hope I deliver it well this evening. It's going to be a little lengthy because there's just not a way for me to make it into one in one part. Um, but I titled it, And They Defiled the Land. And I've been wanting to do this sermon for a while, but um, I believe it was God's providence that I waited until after we studied the book of Leviticus. Because that's what we're going to, uh, a lot of our text is going to come from. It's from the, the book of Leviticus. And so um, I hope that I can get the points that I, I put together across for y'all this evening. As Ben had read for us earlier this evening in Leviticus 18, verses 24 and 25, the children of Israel were warned, Defile not yourselves in any of these things. For in all these, these, the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. And so God is warning them, do not be like the land of Canaan. Don't be as the inhabitants of those that I'm getting ready to, the land's going to vomit out because they have defiled the land. They have done wicked things. And we will, we will go to the text, what, he, what he's talking about there shortly. Well, now, remember in Genesis 15, verses 16 through 18, when God is promising the land of Canaan to Abraham, and he says, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And so... He was telling him that he would not take that land from the Amorites. Why? Because they were not a totally wicked nation yet. God is not going to take from the righteous and give it to someone else. He's going to wait until their iniquity is full. That's that long suffering that, that Ben had mentioned this morning on his, his sermon. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 25 and 26, if we want to see what the things that the Amorites would have done to be cast out of that land, we go. We read about King Ahab. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all the things as who? As did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. That's that vomiting out. Why did, he, why did he get rid of them? Because they were idol worshipers. But it's not just the idol worship. It was the acts that they were doing while they were worshiping the idols as well. And so this, this evening, we're going to have three points that I want to bring out. And then the fourth point is spiritual application. The first point tonight is going to be seed. Seed. Leviticus 19, verse 19, God said, Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Now, neither shall a garment mingle of linen and woolen come upon thee. And so God's telling them that they are not to what? They are not to cross uh, pollinate. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 9, 
Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. God commanded the Israelites not to defile the land by altering the fruit by cross pollinating. He didn't want them to be creators. God is the creator. Notice in Leviticus 26, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. If, it's conditional, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then will I give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall reach on the vintage, and the vintage shall reach on the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your safe land safely. And so obedience to God resulted in abundant harvest. There was nothing that they needed to do. The fruit of the seed was their bread or their food. Their food. Did God or the land of Canaan need the help of the Israelites? Numbers 13, verse 20. This is when they're going to spend the, send the 12 uh, spies into the land. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not, and be you of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes, and so we know what harvest it is. It's of the vine, the vineyards. Numbers 13, verse 23, And they came onto the brook of Eshel, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff. And so if you can imagine one man with a staff on his shoulder, and then the cluster of grapes between the other man that had it bearing on his shoulder... And they brought out, brought out the pomegranates and of the figs. And so he's showing that the land is very fruitful. God didn't need their help. He's giving them the good land. He said, you won't sow, but you will reap. Why would God forbid them from cross-pollinating? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, And God said, He spoke it into existence, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. What did God say about it? After he spoke it into existence. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself, after his kind, and God saw that it was good. It was perfect. It didn't need man's interpretation on it. And those things that we may say, well, it's a bitter, we want to change it. Remember when they came out of the land of Egypt, God wanted them to take of the bitter herbs to remind them of that captivity, that lifestyle they had in Egypt, so they never want to go back. There's reasons why we have bitter things. There's reasons why we have sweet things. God told the Israelites not to defile the land by playing God and creating new fruits and new herbs. We call it science. They're always creating new things. God didn't do it right. 
It all starts from their plan when they say there's no God, right? That's what they teach our children in school. The psalmist writes in Psalm 14, The fool have said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. There is good in science. Don't take me wrong. But they take their science too far and they want to be God. That, that point is going to bear out more as we go through this evening. God said, don't alter his creation. Don't change the seed. It is bread for you. Point number two tonight will be cattle. We're going to go back to the very verse that we got about the seed. In Leviticus 19, verse 19, when God said, Ye shall keep my statues, thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind, thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed, neither shall a garment mingle of linen and woolen come upon thee. And so God commanded the Israelites to not crossbreed the animals. Don't create your own breeds. Don't create your own animals. Well, what were the cattle used for? Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2. When we studied on the, the offerings, the, the oblations that they would offer to God. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. By crossbreeding animals, they would alter their sacrifice to God. Leviticus 20, verses 25 through 26. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean. And ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. They were supposed to know the difference between a clean beast and an unclean. They were not to try to cross-contaminate those clean things. And so they were to put a difference. They were to remain holy as God was holy. God expected pure sacrifices with no blemishes. But as we've, we've studied before, in the times of Malachi, in Malachi 1.7, God says, Ye offered polluted bread upon my altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. In verses 12 and 13, but you have profaned it, in that you say that the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You said also, behold, what a weariness it is. Oh, it's so hard to give God what he wants. And you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and you brought that which was torn and lame and the sick. Thus you brought an offering, should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord. God expected those pure sacrifices without any blemish. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 24, why did he not want them crossbreeding? And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And so even when Jesus is speaking in the parables, he says, does a such and such come from this? Or does this come from that? We know that if you plant a watermelon seed, you're going to get a watermelon. 
God's plan was for the things to produce themselves. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, after he spoke it into existence, and God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeped upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. It was perfect. He's the creator. God told the Israelites not to defile the land by playing God and creating new breeds of animals. Don't alter his creation. Don't change the animals. They are to be offered as sacrifices to God for the Israelites. The use of the animals was for the good of the nation so that their relationship with God remained intact. Point number three, and this is some of what uh, Ben's touching on with Noah this morning with the help me, or the marriage. He told them not to alter such things. And so I'm going to read out of Leviticus chapter 18 uh, briefly. Leviticus, Leviticus 18, verses 24 through 30. <clears throat> defile, defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all the nations are defiled which are cast out before you. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth the tower in heaven. This is how they're not going to do it. Notice, ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. That's put to death. Therefore shall ye keep my ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. So the question would be, what things? Leviticus 18, verse 6, None of you shall approach that that is near akin to him to un uncover your nakedness. I am the Lord. Incest. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Adultery. Verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind is an abomination. Homosexuality. Verse 23, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself with therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Bestiality. God's telling them, see, when they were worshiping these idols, those Amorites, these are the things that they were in, um, I'm trying to think of the word. These are the very acts that they were involved in. And a lot of this stuff happened with their idol worship. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. So how was it supposed to be? We go back to the beginning. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and bred into his nostrils the breast of life and man became a living soul. Verse 18. And the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help beat for him. Now, let's go to verse 19 here. 
And out of the ground of the Lord, God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them on the Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, uh, called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And so here Adam is, he's seeing all these animals come by him and he's naming them one by one. But notice this, verse 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a health meat for him. That's that confusion that God's dealing with in Leviticus. God says animals are not a suitable health meat for man. It is confusion. So what did God do? Verses 21 and 22. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her onto the man. God created a woman for a suitable helpmeet for man. It's very, very clear. He didn't create another man. He didn't say that, no, this animal is suitable. Genesis 23, verse 24. Now we're going to see the first marriage take place. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Why? It's for marriage. And shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so that's what Ben was, was zeroing in this morning at the end of his lesson was that one flesh. David, yes, he had many wives, but it wasn't so, right? God, that's not what God's plan was. That's man's interference with God's plan. And so we see the first marriage. What did God tell a husband and wife to do? Well, if we go back to chapter 1, chapter 2 is like an expanse of day 6. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God blessed them, and God said on them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the earth, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so they were to be fruitful and multiply. Two men cannot multiply. Two women cannot multiply. But our scientists are going to find a way. And notice they're to have dominion over the animals. But they're not to alter the animals. In Genesis 1.31, And God said everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so God's most prized creation was very good. Why? Because he made them in their, his own image. God's plan for marriage. When Jesus is being tempted about divorcement, in Matthew chapter 19, verses, verses 4 through 6, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? Well, where would they read that at? In the beginning, in the book of Genesis. That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Well, we know who that was. That was the God, that was the Godhead. 
and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so that's a three-way contract when you get married. If you're getting married to who God says you can get married to. He doesn't recognize all these homosexual marriages that are being performed each and every day. Or if you're involved in adultery when you marry, he's not going to recognize that marriage either. It's one man, one woman forever. But there's one exception. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. And so if one of the spouses commit fornication outside the sanctity of marriage, God says you are allowed to put that person away. That's the only way that God wants to see divorce. Fornication includes adultery, homosexuality, incest, and bestiality. Those things that he forbid. Because all adultery is fornication, but not all fornication is adultery. Well, the policies of America are defiling our land. LGBT has become LGBTQI2S+. And I saw other, but this is one I stuck with. They took a token of God, a covenant between man and God. It was actually also between God and the animals and the earth. That he would not destroy mankind again with a flood and make it a symbol for their prideful defiance of God and his will. The Bible is very clear what's going to happen to the prideful. There won't be no celebrating on that day. Abominations in the patriarchal age, they were abominations in the Mosaic age, and they are abominations in the Christian age. The law of marriage is an eternal principle. It holds true from creation till the judgment. What do I mean by the patriarchal age? Well, we'll see Sodom and Gomorrah. The very acts that they were, that city was destroyed upon. In Jude 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. That's homosexuality. Remember when the angels came to get Lot and his family and the men desired to know them. Well, if you look up the Hebrew word, that's the same word when Adam knew Eve. It's sexual. They were going after strange flesh. That was things that God did not ordain. It was going after like the men were going after men. They are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Homosexuality was condemned by God. In Romans chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use in the, that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burdened in their lusts one towards another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. Guess what? It's still condemned by God. How about incest? 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, when Paul's writing that letter to the Corinthians, it is reported commonly there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not as, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Guess what? Incest is condemned by God. What about the transgender and the cross-dressers? Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That word effeminate means acting as a woman, leaving your natural, your natural acts. How about 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14? Don't, doth not even nature itself teach you? What's, what's, what's known? That if a man have long hair, is a shame on him. Men are to look like men. Women are to look like women. And so the laws of nature says that men are usually short-haired and the women are the long-haired. Men are to look as men and women are to look as women. That's, that's what it's, it's, it's saying. Don't, don't cause yourself to look like the other gender. Transsexuals. This is where they're messing with creation. Romans 1, verses 29 through 32. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without, without natural affection. That goes back to Ben's uh, sermon on abortion. They're just freely giving their kids up to murder because they don't have that natural mother instinct with their children implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they that which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Well, y'all are very unloving. God says that if we have pleasure in it, we're as guilty as the one partaking in it. And so changing the birth sex to the opposite is the inventors of new things. Our scientists are well at work being God once again. What's more abominable is they are performing these operations on children. Encouraging their children to be sinners. Matthew 18, verse 6, Jesus says, But whosoever shall offend, that means to stumble, to entice the sin, one of these little ones which, which believe in me. Now in the context it says they have to believe in him. It were better for him to have a millstone were hung about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. 
They're causing their children to be sinners. You're changing their sex. How do you repent of that? They're sacrificing their children to the works of Satan. This is not God's work. It's no different than in Leviticus 18, verse 21, when God said, Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. These operations do not bring glory to God. They defile his creation. But God not only forbade them from having strange partners, those strange flesh, but also forbid that, but forbade taking wives from surrounding nations. And so we, we, we always talk about this principle, God's people to marry God's people. It's been true in each age. Deuteronomy 7, 3. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Why? Verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. What's the result of disobedience? Captivity. Our nation's under captivity. Ezra 9, verses 1 and 2. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing it according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and who? The Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed, the children of God, have mingled themselves with the people of those lands, the ungodly. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. And it holds true today. Marriage is for life. Romans chapter 7, verse 2. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law, that's the law of marriage, to her husband, so as long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of marriage or, or, or from the law of her husband. <clears throat> if he's dead, she's no longer married. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, Paul's saying the same thing in this letter. <clears throat> the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty, freed from that law, to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. And there's going to be other things. He has to be an eligible um, married. He can't, he can't be where it would be an adulterous relationship. But it's remarriage to eligible Christians. That's what God prefers. Just as he told the, the, um, the Israelites. Marriage between the godly and ungodly will defile the land. And that's where I'm going to go back to the days of Noah. In Genesis 6 verse 11 the earth also was corrupt before God. It was defiled. And the earth was filled with violence. Why? Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We're not there yet, but the America's headed that way. Why? 
Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And Ben did a very good... Uh, a very good um, study on the sons of God being not angels here. Um, I went more simpler on it. The descendants of Seth took the descendants of Cain to marry. The godly, the seed line with the ungodly. God told the Israelites not to defile the land by taking strange partners or flesh. God said to not alter his model for marriage. In doing so, you are not serving him, but Satan. My last point this, this evening is the spiritual application. I could have easily stopped there, but I wanted to make application. The seed. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Guess what? All these, these inventions of evil things comes. It comes when we leave and we alter the word of God. They were told, if you stand in my statutes, if you do my judgments... That was always the precedence. If you're going to do my will, well, you won't have to worry about these evil things. The Bible says that my people are destroyed by the lack of knowledge. In John chapter 6, verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus has the words of eternal life. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when he's being tempted of the devil, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We can't alter the word of God. What about cattle? Remember they were used for sacrifices? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We cannot alter our spiritual sacrifices before the Lord. That is our worship to Him. That would include the way that we sing, the way that we pray, our preaching, our giving, and our communion. The type must remain pure too. Just as He said, you bring them without blemish. Why? John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him, he's our focus, must, that eliminates. That is a requirement. Must worship him in spirit. That's with the right attitude. See, the days of Malachi, they didn't have the right attitude, and that's why they said, oh, it's a burden to us. Take our leftovers. Worship him in spirit and in truth. John 17, 17 says that God's word is true. So it's from the word of God that we know how to worship him. And then the help me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. And so the church is the bride of Christ. Verses 30 through 32. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause 
Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so how many bodies are there? One. Whose body is it? It's Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 says there's one body. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 tells us that the body and the church are one and the same. Christ will only have one bride, that's one church. The scriptures teach about it over and over. Even when Jesus was on the earth, he says, I'll build my church. And then when he prays to the Father in John chapter 17, he says, he can, he says that the, the church is the fold, and there's other sheep that I must bring into the one fold. Unity. <clears throat> And I put Ephesians 4 for this one body. Just as Adam and Eve was to fill the earth, the church is to grow and produce Christians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Notice the words that Paul says here. Till we all, everyone, come in unity of what? The faith. That's one faith. Guess what? That's listed in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses four, uh, 4 through 6. Of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. What, what, what are children? What does that mean? Well, children are easily influenced, tossed to and fro, and carried about with what? Every kind of doctrine. False doctrine. By the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. False doctrine is a lie. And there's millions and millions and millions that are being deceived every day because they won't come to the pure teachings of the faith. And God says until we all come in unity to his word, there's going to be divisions. Then he says, but speaking the truth, the truth, the faith that's one and the same, in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So he's talking about the church there. From whom the whole body, that's the church, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. But notice this, making the increase of the body. And so when we're what? When we're speaking the truth in love, and it hits those ears and those hearts, those honest hearts that we read about in the parable of the seed, the body increases. And the other work of the church onto the edifying of itself in love. We are begotten of the Father. In James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with what? The word of truth, the gospel, the faith. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The church is the new creation. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again. Not of, of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so it's through the word of God that we are born again. John chapter 3, verse 3. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, 
Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so that's a requirement. You must be born again. Then he's going to tell them how you're born again. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The church or the bride has been cleansed in the waters of baptism by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. When Paul's given this commandment to husbands, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Who did he die for? The church. He died for all mankind, but who receives the benefits of the blood? It's the ones that have obedience that are baptized into Christ. That's what verse 26 is saying. That he may sanctify and cleanse it. What? The church with the washing of water by the word. Baptism. How are we going to get cleansed? It's by the baptism waters. That he might present it, what, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. I didn't put it in here, but I caught it, and so I wrote it down on a sheet of paper. But I want, I want to read one more thing out of Leviticus 19 real quick while we're here. Leviticus 19. The things that they weren't to alter. And I did I didn't I didn't study it out. Leviticus 19, 19. Ye shall keep my statutes, thou shalt not let thy cattle jiggered with diverse kind, thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed, neither shall a garment mingle of linen and woolen come upon thee. The word our sacrifice and our clothing. When do we receive our clothing? When is our clothing white as snow? Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For as many of you have been baptized in Christ, have put on Christ. If you look at that word, have put on, in the Greek, it means to be clothed. God said that he wants your clothing pure. How are you going to have pure, uh, pure clothing? It's by the teachings of Christ, obedience to his will. Baptism. Present himself, what does that mean? It's at the end of time when Jesus comes back for his bride. It's at the judgment. He's receiving his bride, and then he's going to deliver it to who? The Father. We cannot alter Christ's help me, that is the church. He has only one bride, church. Until we all come in unity, there will be doctrines of lies deceiving men from obeying the truth. That's what Paul's telling them in Ephesians chapter 5. Don't be as children. Don't be torn away by false doctrine. Go with the purity of the pure gospel. If there's any here this evening that's not a Christian, we invite you to do so. It's not by our plan. It's by the plan that God laid out in his holy scriptures. And it starts by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must believe and have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6. Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and many other signs truly of Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? 
that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through His name. The miracles that are recorded in this book is to prove that Jesus was deity. When we see that our ways are not God's way, that's when repentance comes in. That means that we have a change of heart that produces a change of life. It can be seen. It can be felt. In Luke 13, 3 and 5, Jesus says that if we refuse to repent, we will perish. He says it twice. I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And what is he, what is he describing it to? Sodom and Gomorrah. That eternal punishment that we read about in Jude 7. Then we must confess him before men. It is the confession made on the salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead and shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. It's on to, that, that's, that confession is made on to salvation. You're not there yet. You believe on the righteousness. You're headed in the right direction. You confess you're headed to the right direction. But on to means you're going that way. At no point do you ever read that they were added to the church, added to the kingdom, until what? They committed what? Baptism. In Acts chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 38, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And guess what they were added to the Lord's church? Acts 2.47 Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to, his, to the church daily, such as should be saved. There's no other plan that will get you into Christ, Galatians 3.26 and 27. <coughs> Jesus says there will be many in that day that says, Lord, Lord. Jesus says, I never knew you. Why? Because they didn't do the will of the Father, Matthew chapter 7. So we encourage any that have not obeyed, if you need for us to study more with you. For those that are on the podcast, we have a gospel meeting come up and we plead with you to come out to learn the truth before it's everlasting too late. Perhaps you are a child of God but you have uh, went astray, you have not lived as faithful as you should have. In Revelation 2.10, we've been promised that crown of life if we're found faithful. Jesus says that if we walk in the light as he is in light, then the blood of Jesus continuously cleanses us. It's got the ETH on the end. So it, it, as long as we're doing our best to serve God, that blood, but then he says the reason how, he gives us how that blood continues to cleanse us if, if we confess to God that we have sinned. And that would include repentance. And God is faithful to forgive us of those future sins. It's the power of the blood that can only be found in his church, in his body. Outside the, outside the body of Christ, outside the church of Christ, there's no blood. It's only found in his body just as it is with us. And so when those that walk away from God outside the church doors, we say, but the building don't mean anything, outside the spiritual family of God, they've cut themselves off the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way that they can get back in is by rest, restoring that one. And so we plead tonight. If we can help you in either way, if you'll come to the front, as together we stand and sing the song of the